Well, what's going on, 412 family? Man, it seems like it's been a while. You know, we uh, we had fall break, and then we had the pastor appreciation dinner, which I am so grateful for you guys and how much you loved on me and my family. Uh, and then we had Fields of Faith. And so it seems like October has kind of just been a wash um, as far as getting into the youth building and diving in as a family around God's word. But we're going to be back at it. And we're starting a brand new series that I'm entitling The Bible. And, uh, you know, I, I started thinking, like, it's very important for us to know the Bible, know scripture. But I think it's also important for us to know, like, the Old and New Testament and what their purposes are and, and why is there the Old Testament and the New Testament talking about individual books in the Bible, like what what is the purpose of Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? Uh, what is the purpose of these books that are named after people like Isaiah and Malachi and Zechariah and Haggai? Um, and, and when we talk about prophets, like major prophets and minor prophets, why are those in the books? Uh, in, in the Old Testament and then you get to the New Testament and you know the questions of okay Matthew Mark Luke and John are the Gospels but who were these men and, and why do what they have to say even matter and then talking about you know the letters that uh, Paul and Peter and John uh, and Jude wrote to the early church and exhorting them to follow the commands of the Lord and to follow faithfully the things of Jesus and so here's the truth of the matter the scripture we are told that the Bible and God's holy word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it is like a sword in which we go to war with. Uh, we, we fight in the spiritual realms with our Bibles. And so the truth of the matter is, the more we know about it, the more we know what its purpose is and why these things are in the Bible, the more we can understand who God is and who he created us to be and how he's engaging with us on a daily basis through all these books of the Bible then we are able to wield that sword even more strongly. And so we're going to do just that over the next couple of weeks. We're going to break down the Old Testament. We're going to break down the New Testament, understand their purposes. But really, week one, I, I got to thinking of how I was going to start this off. And really, this one question came to mind, like, how can we trust it? Like, how can we trust that the Bible is absolute truth? Like, we, we say that. We say we believe it. We say that we think that it's truth. But... How can we really trust it? You know, there's a little children's song out there that says, Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. Now, that's a cute little children's song, but just because the Bible says it, does it actually make it true? You know, when we talk about believing in the Bible and stuff like that, let, let's think for a minute that we met someone that had never heard the Bible, never heard about Christianity, never heard about God or Jesus, and we go to them and we say, hey, Jesus loves you. Well, the first question I'm going to say is, well, who's Jesus and how can I know that to be true? Well, if our simple answer is, well, because the Bible tells us so, they're going to look at us all kind of cockeyed and be like, I, what is the Bible and why do I even need to believe it? There is no substance there for them to understand that. So while that is a very good uh, surface level answer, I think it's more important that we dive in deeper and we figure out exactly what the Bible is and why we should believe it. Now, many will tell you that we trust the Bible on faith. And to be honest with you, there is a definite faith factor involved in believing the Bible. We have to take certain things on faith. But the deeper, deeper we dive into Scripture, we see that all of Scripture is pointing to one person, and that person is Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, we can see the connections throughout Scripture pointing to Jesus. 
And we're gonna do just that. We're gonna dive in and we're gonna dive in real deep to understand what we believe and why we believe it. Now, maybe you've heard some people ask these questions before. Maybe you've asked them yourselves, but I think we need a good, a good basis of understanding some questions. Now, asking these questions are not a bad thing. I love asking questions. A lot of people, when I was growing up in Sunday school, I would ask off the wall questions and I would get, you know, teachers that would say, you don't need to be asking that because the Bible doesn't say that. And maybe, you know, maybe I got a little outlandish then, but here's the thing, questions lead to discovery. And so if we ask a question and it creates us to dive deeper into God's word to find an answer to that question, man, how awesome is that, that we are diving into God's word to discover more about who he is and who he created us to be. So these questions, you know, might seem a little abrasive, but I think they are good questions for us to ask. The question is, how do we know that the Bible is true? Maybe this question, what if someone asks you this? Isn't the Bible just made up of a bunch of stories written down by men? Like, that? how do we know that it's actually true? How about this question? How can we trust that there are no contradictions or mistakes in the Bible? Well, those are all great questions. And I think those are questions that we all should wrestle with because the more we know and the better we have information when people come to us to ask questions like this we have better understandings but one thing we need to know is a little breakdown of the bible itself so there are 66 books books of the bible broken into the old testament and the new testament now these books were written by 40 authors over 1500 years so now that leads to another question how can 40 men over 1500 years all be unified in their writings. Well, what we know is that scripture is directly inspired by God and breathed out or spoken out by him. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 through 17, it tells us, "All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, by correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work." So, we have that and that scripture so each of the Bible authors wrote only as much as long as they were led to do by the Holy Spirit. So each author wrote at the direction of the Holy Spirit who breathed out scripture to them. The apostle Peter explains this process in 2 Peter verses 1 or chapter 1 verse 21 and he says, "Prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through through human spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." So all scripture is God breathed. It has all been given to man from God. It's been spoken to them or breathed out to them in order that they may bring it to the people. Now, you may be sitting here and you say, well, hold on a minute, just, just a minute, M.A., because you told us how can we trust the Bible and you just quoted the Bible in order to tell us that we can trust it. So I, if I don't know I can trust the Bible, how is quoting scripture to me, how is quoting the Bible to me going to prove anything to me? And that is a very, very good question. So we're going to dive in even deeper. So the Old Testament is filled with books of the Bible that are categorized as prophets. Now a person, a prophet is a person regarded as an inspired teacher or proclaimer of the will of God or one who utters divinely inspired revelations. So in the, in, the, uh, in the Bible, you have 
the major prophets, which is Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Then you also have the minor prophets, who are Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Now God used these men to speak through to his people. He would give them visions and prophetic dreams in order to tell them what was coming, or better yet, who was coming. And that was Jesus. In the Old Testament, between all the major and minor prophets, we can see over 400 prophecies. Now, most of these, some of these prophecies overlap, okay? So, you know, like one prophet said it, and then a few hundred years later, another prophet said it, and so they are the same prophecy, just overlap. But we can count over 400 overlapping prophecies, prophecies that all point to a Messiah. Now, a Messiah is a savior or an anointed one. Now, these prophecies range from where, where he will be born and how he would be born to what his bloodline would be, like from, from what, uh, fa- what his family tree would be, um, which is, is uh, the Bible says that Jesus will come from the house of David or the Messiah will come from the house of David. And it, it, these prophecies go all the way to how he, you know, how he would come in Jerusalem. It, it says that he would ride a donkey into Jerusalem. These prophecies even detailed how he would die in very specific details about his death. Now, a professor of mathematics and science wanted to determine what the mathematical odds were of any one person in history fulfilling just 48 of these prophecies. And so he did the math. He, he had all of, his, uh, all of his students in his class crunching the numbers and figuring it all out. And he found that it would be one chance in 13 trillion that one person in history would fulfill just 48 of the 400 ancient prophecies we see in the Bible. Jesus, in his lifetime of 33 years, fulfilled over 300 prophecies throughout his life. That is amazing. That is, I mean, think about that. Just for Jesus to fulfill 48 prophecies would be one in a 13 trillion chance. And Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies in his life. So the Bible is always pointing toward this Messiah, and we know that that Messiah is Jesus. So that's some credible facts there of us being able to say, hey, here's some prophets that prophesied this was going to happen, and it did happen. Now, what I find interesting is you may say, well, couldn't they have coordinated that? They said it was going to happen and then worked it out. Well, here's the truth of the matter. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, prophesied in Isaiah 53, 5. He said this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. Now the prophet Isaiah said this about the crucifixion of the Messiah, which we know Jesus went to the cross and was crucified and he was crucified for our transgressions. Listen to this. Isaiah pinned this down and prophesied it 600 to 700 years before Jesus was even born. The minor prophet Zechariah prophesied in Zechariah 9.9 that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. Or, sorry, that the Messiah would come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. It says this in Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, a colt, 
the foal of a donkey. Now, Zechariah said this 500 years before Jesus actually rode into Jerusalem on a donkey as accounted by Luke in Luke chapter 19, 35 through 37. Again, the prophet Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would be born of a virgin in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And he said, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call him Emmanuel. If we read in Matthew, the gospel of Matthew chapter 1, verses 8 through 24, it specifically tells us how Mary, a virgin, became pregnant and would give birth to Jesus. Going back to the minor prophets, the minor prophet Micah prophesied in Micah 5.2 that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And the list goes on and on and on. And so all of these prophets prophesied over 400 overlapping prophecies and Jesus in his life fulfilled 300 of them. And the majority of these prophets were prophesying hundreds of years before Jesus even came onto the scene. So the next question we have to ask is this, now that we kind of can understand that the Old Testament is true because it is all pointing toward Jesus through the prophets, we can also understand we need to wrestle with the question of, okay, so if the Old Testament is true, how do we know that the New Testament is true? So the next question is, how can we trust the Gospels or the books written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? So. Matthew and John were two of the 12 disciples that walked with Jesus his entire ministry. Now, those two, we can kind of have some credibility to because they were with Jesus every step of the way through his ministry for for the three years Jesus did ministry. Now, Luke was a physician, and he actually was the only Gentile to write any part of the New Testament. So if you know anything about Bible history, you have the Old Testament and New Testament. Well, in the Old Testament, the Jewish people, the Israelites, were God's chosen people. And up until Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, it was just, salvation was just for the Jew. And so once Jesus came, he said, it is first for the Jew and now for the Gentiles. So what is amazing is Luke being a Gentile, being able to be a partaker in the writings of the Bible. And so he was the only, one, only Gentile to write a part of the New Testament. Luke was a close friend of the Apostle Paul. If you remember, we, a few weeks ago, we talked about Paul and his story. Um, and he, uh, the Apostle Paul referred to Luke as the beloved physician in Colossians 4.14. Now, perhaps Luke's interest in medicine, they say he was a doctor, is the reason his specific gospel gives such a high profile on Jesus' acts of healing. So Paul really focused on, focused on his acts of healing. Now, the next gospel, Mark, also known as John Mark, who we, all, we call Mark, is the author of the gospel of Mark. He was a believer in the early church, and John Mark is first mentioned as the son of a woman named Mary, whose house was being used as a place for believers to gather and pray. We read that in Acts chapter 12, verse 12. Later, Mark is mentioned as a companion of Barnabas and Paul during their travels and missionary journeys together. We read about that in Acts chapter 12, verses 25. So all four of these men had detailed documentation of the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, some will say, hey, they don't match up. Their stories don't match up perfectly, so we shouldn't trust them. But here's the truth of the matter. there's, There's a flaw in that logic. So here's the flaw. If you talk to any criminal investigator, 
One telltale way they know that people are lying is when their stories match line for line. When they use the same words, they use the same verbs, they use the same sentences. It means that they have fabricated a story. They have rehearsed it. They got together. They said, all right, this is our story and we're sticking to it. Now, to explain this a little further, if four of us were sitting around a table on a patio eating lunch and we were sitting there and a, a yellow car ran a red light and caused a three-car accident to happen right in front of us and an investigator came and separated us all and said, hey, I'm going to ask you some questions of what took place and he asks us what we saw. I guarantee you we would all have different detailed versions of the same story that all have very distinct but overlapping, uh, overlapping details because we all had different vantage points. But through our different vantage points and through our focus on different details, the main story would be that a yellow car ran a red light and caused an accident. And so that's what we see. That's exactly what we see and how we can trust the gospel writers is because they are all looking at the life of Jesus from different vantage points, different details. They say Luke was was a learned man. He, he researched and researched and researched about the life of Jesus, even though he didn't walk with him like Matthew and John did. He, he did his due diligence. He was like a, a reporter going out and saying, I need to get this story. I need to figure it out. And he did it in detail. So the cool thing is I enjoy reading the account of the life of Jesus. And one thing I love doing is, let's say you flip to the book of Luke and you read a certain account of Jesus's life in the book of Luke. And then what I love doing is flipping throughout the other gospels and reading their accounts of the exact same story. Now, what's awesome about that is you can begin to use this as building blocks to see all the details of the account and get different vantage points into the life of Jesus. So if we all take one point of Jesus's life and, and look at it from Matthew's point and Luke's point and John's point and Mark's point of view, you're gonna get different viewpoints, but they're all gonna point to the same direction. And so that's what I, that's what I love is they're like building blocks to see the details and the account and get different vantage points of the life of Jesus. And even with their own viewpoints of the facts of certain events that took place, the gospel writers are unified. They are unified in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is a very good starting point on why we can trust that the Bible is true. Because not only did the prophets in the Old Testament foretell what was going to happen, and it actually happened, but also we have the gospel writers that come forth and give us detailed versions of Jesus' life. You have four different men from four different vantage points that give us four different tellings of the life of Jesus, but yet they overlap and they all say the same thing. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He came down. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. And he rose again, holding the keys that death held in the grave so that we can forever live with him in heaven if we surrender our life to him and claim him as Lord and Savior of our life. We're going to dive into this. And it's going to be great. Parents, this is great things that you can begin talking to your kids about. As we go through this, we're going to be breaking down individual books. We're breaking down the Old Testament, New Testament. It's going to be a deep dive into the Bible and why it was written and why we have these certain books of the Bible. But know this, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 tells us 
that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for good work. Y'all have a great week. Stay humble, stay focused, and keep pressing on.